Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon. Whenever and wherever you're listening, we just wanted to extend the warmest of welcomes. So kick back and relax as we continue through our sermon series. Uh, this, this weekend, um, we honor, this weekend is Memorial Weekend, and so many of you know um, through someone in a family or a friend or just even when we're located how close we are to the Air Force Base, you know someone who has served and lost someone. And maybe that was even a family member a long time ago for generations. Um, and so I just want to say, I see you. I honor you. I pause for you more than, you know, this isn't just trying to figure out what I'm going to cook tomorrow. This is understanding there's people who have made a great sacrifice. And speaking of Memorial Day or weekend, um, I really feel like we're just in a time of mourning. I know that the, this stuff that we've been walking through for the last I mean, I could name something every week for the last four weeks that we've been carrying. And it's just so much right now. Like it's overwhelming and so hard to process because it brings up not just what happened, but any loss that any of us have experienced. It's triggering. And so I've sat here this week just devastated as thing after thing after thing. And I want to tell you, it still shocks me. It still grieves me. It still stops me on the steps. And I'm going to tell you right now, as a follower of Jesus in this faith community, if it is not, if it's not shocking you and stopping your steps, sit back, take a breath, and lean in. Because as followers of Jesus, it should shock us. It should bother us. And it's okay to mourn. I think um, that's been the, one of the weightiest things from this week is like, what do we do? Like, what do I do with this? Like, what's the response? Like, how do I just say another thing? We keep saying the same thing. You've heard this. So the only thing I can think of to do is one, tell somebody you love them. Like, actually see them eye to eye and tell them they matter and you love them. And secondly, I would tell you, whether you have children or not, whatever community you live in, wherever you're joining us online, literally around the world, take a minute and write a letter or a quick note or an email um, to a teacher or the school district and just tell them you see them, you love them. Cause this stuff is triggering for them. And, and a lot of people are getting ready to finish school right now. And these teachers are going to go on summer break and guess what we want them to do. Come back. We want them to re-show up so they can continue to invest into serve, care for this next generation and protect them as best as they can. So see them. That's one of the only things I literally was trying to figure out, like, what can we do? That's something we can do that's, that's kingdom-minded, that's caring and loving. So um, I, I'm carrying this with you guys. Find space um, to grieve. Um, there is so much to process. Students, this is so much to process over these last couple of weeks. It is so hard for our minds to process so much information that we're getting and so much hurt, and to carry that, take a breath and find some space maybe tomorrow and just process it. Talk to somebody that loves you. Talk to a friend. Don't just let it go and let it get stuffed in there. And that really goes for all of us. Find some space to grieve and to heal and to process what's going on. So now on to the message. <laughs> so we are in Matthew, like Jeff talked about it. This is one of your uh, first times with us. You're new with us. You're new to Jesus. Um, we are going through a book in the Bible. This is the Bible's made up of actually a handful of books. And in the New Testament, which is midway through or so, 
Uh, it starts out with the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are specifically stories of the life and the message of Jesus. Um, and so we are walking through literally verse by verse. We're skipping nothing as we walk through the book of Matthew. And where we found ourselves is in the Sermon on the Mount. This is, a, if you've ever heard of like a red letter Bible, where red letters is when Jesus is talking. These are a couple of chapters that's just all red because it's just Jesus giving a message. And so we are coming in now as he's landing the plane. We're in chapter seven of Matthew. He's wrapping this up this week. And then next week will be the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And then we're going to get to see how he lives his life out and continues on that journey. Um, but he is uh, talking to us. And it's important, I think, to remember that we're breaking this up into like little bite-sized chunks and then trying to figure out how to make it relevant for our lives now because we're really talking about like an archaic time and, and uh, even the language and connecting that. And so we're working real hard on like just breaking it up and making it palatable, little bites to understand how we put that into action now. But it's important to remember that's not how Jesus was teaching it. It was one teaching. It was straight through. And so we can kind of get messed up a little bit because we're like pausing a bunch. And so it's important to see kind of the whole ethos of this message. So with that note, I'm going to read you the scripture that we're going to um, tackle today. And then we're going to walk through that. So Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 15, says this, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. His point on this, if you remember, just last week we ended and we were having this conversation about Jesus was saying, enter through the narrow gate and that it was hard work. And there's a wide gate uh, that leads to destruction. Basically, there's two paths that we're continually walking down one of two directions. The decisions we're making are walking us towards one of these destinations, the narrow gate or the, the, the wide gate, one that leads to life or one that leads to destruction. And he's saying, I want you to go down the path that leads to life. And so what he's doing right here is right off the bat, he's saying, okay, these are the two kinds of things or two kinds of people that can keep you, uh, that can um, distract you, that can get you going down the wrong path. And the first one is this week, what we're talking about, that you can actually be deceived by other people. And specifically, we'll really get into it by false prophets. Essentially, this today's about me <laughs> and, and people like me uh, and the issues that come with this. And then next week, he's going to talk about the fact that we can actually deceive ourselves. Um, so there's other people and then there's us. These are the two things that keep us from finding the narrow gate, finding life. So this week, we're going to talk about, uh, next week, talking about other people who actually keep us from the gates. And he says in chapter seven, starts off right here um, in verse 15, beware of false prophets. Um, there are so many new people who are new to God, new to following Jesus, new Christians, if you will, here at Northgate. Um, every week, someone's making a decision to surrender themselves over or to explore and go on a journey and go check out our TCE area and discover who God is. And it's so important to me <clears throat> that you understand who 
good prophets or teachers are and who bad ones are. There's so many good books that people have written. There's so many good communicators that give messages that are challenging and scripturally based. And so many good podcasters. But there's also not good ones that will deceive you. Ones that want you to follow them and listen to what they're saying, but the end that their, their teaching isn't life, it's leading you down a path of destruction. And so the question is then, how do we actually discern? Like, how do we discern that out? Which is why in your uh, journal, this week's uh, message is titled False Prophets and Discernment on page 145, if you're in there with me. So this week, really, like I said, is about me as a preacher and, and those of us uh, who are teaching and not trusting me or guys like me because there's an agenda that people can get. This human spirit desires affirmation uh, to be affirmed. Oftentimes, we're gonna see that false prophets thrive on being affirmed by people. And there's two kinds. Uh, there's people who want to teach scripture and teach you good theology and love your soul and care for you. And then quite frankly, there's just another group that just don't. They don't. They're not interested in that. And this has always been a problem from the very beginning, from the first church. You see the church of Ephesus, Paul is talking to him in Acts 19, where the church of Ephesus is only two or three years old. This is the first church. And Paul lets them know, hey, I'm about to leave you, but I need to warn you that there are going to be wolves that are going to come in and they're going to try to destroy you, to deceive you, um, to distract you into believing false ideas. And so that's happening like right out the gate at the very first church. So the deal is, if we think wrong about God, if we think wrong about our lives, if we think wrong about scripture, if, if we think wrong about life, if we, if we think wrong about life and God and salvation, then we're gonna think wrong about the mission that we've been called to be a part of that we're going to get distracted, that we're going to veer off, that, that that path, that journey that we're going on to is going to start to shift. And so we have to think right about these things. A.W.S. Tozer years ago said, the most important thing is thoughts that you think about God. If those are off, if those are deranged, if those aren't accurate, accurate then everything about life by domino effect will actually be off. So we're going to talk about that stuff today. Verse 15 says, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Now, first off, Jesus is talking about beware of false prophets, not those who prophesy. Um, some of you that um, are more familiar with scripture um, uh, that have been here a little bit longer. You have maybe read in 1 Corinthians where Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 that, that people are given gifts of the Spirit. And prophecy is one of those gifts. And that's not what Jesus is talking about right now, but prophecy is the ability to speak into people's lives. Um, that people are given that gift where the Lord gives them a word, a certain gifting to speak scripture into, to encourage um, to care for them, to help, to affirm, to challenge them, that this is a gift that's given. It talks about, this. just like there's a gift, he talks about of administration or giving uh, or a gift of teaching. There's a gift of prophecy. And I don't know if you've ever had anyone prophetically speak over you or prophetically come alongside of you and give you a word that you needed then or challenge you or affirm you in your life at a particular moment. But if you have, it's a very powerful thing when it's done right. It's a very powerful thing 
when it's done right. Now, the dangerous part is oftentimes we look for like quick fixes. We want to get there, and so we'll start seeking things out. Um, we can get ourselves in trouble if we play this game, and I would call this the, the uh, Christian fortune tellers, that, that we get ourselves attached to someone like that. We're like, ooh, I need to understand. I need a word or a direction. And it's like the weirdest stuff they'll come up with. And they're like, so I walked outside and the wind was blowing and a leaf blew right past me. And I looked over and it hit a lamppost. And just below the lamppost was a cat. And that cat reminded me of my grandmother's cat. And she used to always say, God didn't make no junk. And right next to the cat was a porta potty. So I feel like God was maybe saying, you got to get rid of some junk in your life. Hmm, interesting. We get caught up into that stuff. We're like, tell me that one more time. <laughs> so you're telling me the Lord gave you porta potty with his image in your head to get rid of some junk in my life because of a cat that was like, what is happening, right? This is stuff that people get, get into and get connected to. And, but what we're talking about is like these moments of enlightenment where God gives people through scriptures affirmed through uh, scriptures affirmation in their life. Now, what Jesus does here is he says, Beware, we've heard this, or be aware of. Be on the lookout. Um, Notice these things, which first off, I would underline that word right here, beware, again, because in this room, what this means is beware. I want you to make sure that you are not naive. You are a smart people. Some of us, though, we're going to be really honest, just accept whatever we hear. Like we hear it or read it, and it's truth. Like, yep, I heard that. He said that. They said that, she said that. Um, In the book of Acts, um, this is why the Bereans were um, known to be more noble than, no more noble than anyone else because they took what they heard and then they actually went back to the scriptures to see if it was true. And some of us just naively, if we're being honest, listen to preachers or read books or listen to podcasts or sit under some sort of teaching or whatever it is, and we just adopt whatever it is that they're saying. We just adopt that, absorb these ideas without this having no critical or we're uncritically um, discerning this. There's no discernment. And Jesus is saying, that's not what we're to do. Now, what some of us say is we say, well, yeah, but like, I'm not theological. Like, I don't, I don't do or I don't think we should do the hard work of doctrine. Like, that's your job. You're the pastor. You got to learn all that stuff, right? You got to figure it out. Now, if that's you, I want to push back on you just a little bit. And I want you to understand that, yes, my heart is to be pragmatic and practical. As we've been walking through Matthew and anything that we're teaching here is to be pragmatic and practical, like to do our best to try to make sure that whatever it is that we're talking about in whatever cultural context that it was in, that we can find a place where it fits into our lives here, now, today, and move on from that, 100%. And pretty immediately, this text goes... But where you've got to be a deep thinker. You need to be a deep thinker theologically, doctrinally, and see if what you believe, what we believe is actually true. Because some of us, we get kind of in this, um, uh, um, this sentimental view of Christianity, right? Um, it's, we get in this view of like, oh, you know what? The thing that I love the most and who I'm going to be is um, I'm just going to love everybody all the time. It's all grace, no matter what. There's no truth in anything. I'm just, you just be you. We're all just like in a big love pool and hanging out. It's so much fun. Look around who everybody else is here. I've actually had friends who've told me like, 
yeah, I have no problem standing in front of the Lord being like, oh, sorry, I guess I just gave too much grace, right? But if you like look in the scriptures, at that sentiment, if it's just only that, there's no process to it, there's no change to it. Jesus, often you saw him saying, yes, grace, 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 but go and sin no more. Go and be changed. Go and have a transformation. So there's something to it that's attached to it. It's just like one of our values here. We are a grace-filled community. Come as you are. And we say often, we are a people in process. You are welcome here in whatever stage of that process is. You can come in here, but the idea is when you come in here, don't leave as you were, leave as who you're going to be. Start taking small steps in your spiritual journey and your process where you're like changing, where transformation is actually happening, like a new heart is becoming of you. And we get attached to like the, the sentimental stuff of like, you know, I've just been made, I'm a person who loves the feels. Like I just love singing worship music. This just sing more and more worship music, which is all fine and good. And you know, some of you even caught up in like, I don't even know what we're singing, but it's super awesome, right? I don't even know what words I'm saying. I don't even know if it's theologically correct, but it feels good. It feels good. I think that's how we actually experience God. Um, some, some people are disconnected to like missions, but like missions, like in the, in the dirt, like you're like, we, if you want to experience God, how we do that and how we understand it is we're always in the missions. We need to go back to Mexico or we need to go to these foreign countries because that's where I get the goosebumps because it feels like Jesus is just hanging on my shoulders, right? And, and, and that's what we love. And you're right. God abides in the mission, 100%. That's where he's hanging out. But there's a, another group that maybe thinks, you know, the, the thing about Christianity or followers of Jesus, it's, it's a, just about a big list of don't do's. Don't do that and don't do that and you can't do that. And it's all truth, which is the opposite to grace. That's who we are. We're a grace-filled community and you can't just be all truth. And all of this stuff that we feel, these different ways, these different answers that we give are based on the personality that God uniquely wired us all with. But right here, friends, the antidote to false prophets is true thinking. It's not just one of those sentimental feel things, which means that you actually have to think. You have to be theological. <clears throat> you have to actually get some doctrinal roots. Um, when they teach people how to recognize counterfeit money, they don't teach them with fake money. They use real money. And they say, study real money and understand real money to the degree that when fake money shows up in front of you, you're immediately gonna say, that's false. That's fake. Why? Because you know what's true. Not because you learned about something that was fake. So the only way that you or we are gonna know and understand who a false prophet is, is, is you're gonna have to study. You're gonna have to understand good theology. You're gonna have to do some work. And some of us go, but yeah, that's like really hard. Like, I don't wanna do that extra work. I don't wanna do that. And what Jesus had just said earlier about the narrow gate is, yeah, this is hard. That's why few people find it. That's why people just like to take the easy route. And it's not the easy route that I want you to take. A guy named uh, William uh, Hendrickson said this, the kingdom is not for weaklings, waverers, compromisers. It's not for Balaam, the rich young ruler, pilot. Is not for by means of deferred prayers, unfulfilled promises, broken resolutions, and hesitant testimonies. It is for strong men like Joseph, Nathan, Elijah, Daniel, Mordecai, 
and Peter, Stephen, and Paul. And let us not forget such valiant and strong women as Ruth, Deborah, Esther, and Lydia. Jesus is saying, hey, we need to take the hard road. Even when it means I got to like think for a little bit, I got to study for myself. I got to go back to this and let this thing be the thing that like gives me roots in my life, not just listening to something someone else did. If you remember last week, again, specifically says, enter by the narrow gate. The gate is wide. The way is easy. That leads to destruction. Those who hear, those who enter by it are many for the gate is narrow. The way is hard. That leads to life. And those who find it are few. Now, what is concerned here is, is are you on the right path? I want you to make sure that you're on the right path. And there can be people who deceive you and get you headed down the wrong path. Um, there's false prophets who want to inform you about things that aren't true. So again, he's reminded us, don't be naive here. Don't be naive about the fact of the things that are happening all around you. Here in 2022, here in this city where you're living, that there are people who want to direct you towards false things and false ideas that are happening right now. <clears throat> what things today are you allowing to teach you or to speak into your life that quite frankly was inconceivable at the time of this teaching? I mean, the things that we're listening to, the things that we're watching, the things that we're reading, you know, what is it actually doing to our head and our heart? Like think about the things that you're actually letting have authority over you. You find yourself like singing that thing and you're like bebopping along. I was like, whoa, what am I even saying, right? Oh my goodness, what am I even reading? What, what is the thing I'm watching that I'm letting have authority over me? These are things that probably weren't even imagined at that time, but are relevant for us now. He says this, beware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. <clears throat> this teaching is uh, harder to discern um, because there's wolves in sheep's clothing. Now, one thing that's often misunderstood about this scripture is a cultural fact. And that is the context in which they were talking that time and everyone that was hearing this understood this. But shepherds, shepherds would actually dress in sheep's clothing. Like they would use the wool as something for warmth um, when they were among their sheep. They would make it for themselves and they would dress up in it. And now what's really, and this is so important um, here, is that false prophets, they don't deceive people by impersonating sheep, but impersonating shepherds. They don't deceive people by impersonating sheep, but by impersonating shepherds. Now that's scary. Uh, this is about the leaders and teachers who dress up like shepherds. And, and they're the ones that are saying like, you got to go this way. You got to love this way. Here's where you go to get food. Here's the direction you go. Let me tell you a good direction in life. And this is why it's harder for us to discern who they are because it's, he's saying it's not obvious. They look safe. They say things that are safe. So now what he does in verse 16 is he tells us, this is how you discern this. This is how you understand who these people are because he says, you need to look at fruit. Let me explain why. He says, you're going to know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? So every tr good tree bears good fruit, 
but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear good bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their what? Fruits. Yeah. So now what we got to do is we got to look at this, and this should be like so easy, right? We think about this, you know, we're like, yeah, I'll be able to identify that by their fruits. I'll just look at the fruit of who they are. And here's why this text is misunderstood. Jesus doesn't say that there's a tree that is going to bear fruit and there's a tree that is not going to bear fruit. He's saying both trees bear fruit. And so then we would tend to think, okay, it's like walking into an orchard and we would see this beautiful piece of fruit and be like, good. And then you'd see another tree and it'd be like this black rotting piece of fruit. We'd say bad. So we'd say alive. We'd say dead. And we'd be able to identify that, right? We'd be able to call wolf real easy. We'd see this beautiful ripe thing versus this disgusting, shriveled black thing. And that's not what he's talking about. What he says by bad fruit, and this is so important, it means that they look the same. The fruit looks the same, but when you eat it, it's bad. They both bear fruit. I have um, outside of my office here an apple tree. Um, it's been here for longer than me. I've been here for over 12 years. And every year I watch it, it blooms these beautiful apples. And every year I go out there and I try one of these apples and it's disgusting. <laughs> it's like the worst apple ever. I have faith in this apple every year. I'm looking at it even every day right now as they're, they're getting bigger. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to eat you, Right. But every year I also notice when I eat this apple and I spit it out because it's so disgusting that nothing else is eaten. Like even the animals have given up on this apple tree. Like even the animals aren't snacking on what should be a delicious apple tree. It's just a bad tree, but it looks beautiful. These apples look so good, right? That, that I, I see these and I'm like, oh, this is this image that he gives us. And later, even next week that he gives us this next week about ourselves is that there's Houses that are built on sand and there's houses that are built on rock. And the house all looks good from the outside. The appearance is good, but it's about what's underneath. And it's either been built on a foundation of sand or it's been built on a foundation of rock. And what you have to do is go inside or go underneath to the secret place to see that. That this fruit, it looks good, but you need to see what kind of fruit it is, what it's producing. And that it, it, the point is, it's not going to be that easily recognizable. And that's actually a scary thought about this. So wanted to dig in real quick. So what do false prophets actually do? What do they actually teach? Uh, I'm going to talk about a few things and then I'm going to try to give you some modern examples so we can kind of grasp this and understand this as we wrap. First, what do these guys teach? It says in Ezekiel 13, 10 says this, false prophets lead my people astray saying peace when there is no peace. And because when a flimsy wall is built, they cover it with whitewash. So what he's saying here is false prophets say, peace, peace, life is good. Like your situations are fine. Like let's not talk about the bad stuff. We want to feel good about everything. We want to feel good about our world. Peace, peace. It's not a wobbly wall. No, it's clean. It's beautiful. We've just covered it up. And so this is what they do. And this is so important. They de-emphasize hard theologies and doctrines and ideas about what following God looks like. That's what they do. They de-emphasize this stuff. The problem is um, it's not so much um, what they say, um, but because that'd be really obvious. If they said something that just seemed off, we'd be like, ah, that's a wolf, right? We'd call it out. 
It's not what they say. Listen to me here. It's what they don't say. It's what they de-emphasize. They choose to de-emphasize. It's what they choose to say. That I'm not going to say this because it's hard. Or I'm not going to say this because people might not come back. Um, I um, borrowed a truck. Um, after I tell you this story, no one's ever going to let me borrow their truck. So this is good. I borrowed a truck from a buddy years and years and years ago. Um, and uh, I was backing it up. I used it. I was pulling a trailer. And I was backing the trailer up. And I jackknifed. And it put a huge dent in the back fender. And I was like, oh, gosh. So before I gave it back to him, I was like working really hard. Like, I got to fix this dent. Uh, and so I got some stuff and I pulled it out. I made it look pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> Covered it up. Gave him back his truck. And I didn't say nothing, right? Oh, oh, there's the line. Oh. <laughs> False prophet. Bad fruit. <laughs> so I didn't say nothing. It's a good buddy of mine. And um, it was like a couple weeks later. It looked good. <laughs> A couple weeks later, I'm hanging out, and my other buddy who was with me knew that it had happened, and I was fixing it. And we're all hanging out, and he's like, oh, man, you can't even tell. That looks great, Larry. And I'm like, looking at me like, what are you doing right now, right? So my buddy, what does he say? Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? It's not that it was bad, and there had to be other stuff that was fixed, but why didn't you tell me? See, what happens, friends, is there is a distrust that rises in people, not by what we do say, but, but what we don't say. A distrust that comes of that. If we hold stuff back from our spouses or our friends or uh, people, then they're going to start to distrust us. This tragedy, this is a a current thing that we're actually watching and we're all dealing with. This tragedy that just happened, the shooting that just happened. We are, are, are feeling distrust right now. Why? Because It's about what they're not saying. This timeline and storyline about how it was reacted to is building up distrust in us. Why? Because it's not about what they are saying. It's about what they didn't say. And so we start to go like, I don't know. This feels unstable. This feels unstable. It's destructive in the things that we actually say. This is what false prophets do. They de-emphasize. Let me give you a couple examples from stuff today. Uh, Ways today that I feel like False prophets are saying, peace, peace. I'll give you a list of things that I thought that they'd be emphasized. First is, um, they don't teach on hell. They don't teach on hell. They're afraid to talk about hell. They're afraid to say the word. They'll even say like, H-E double hockey stick, (laughs) right? This is, I'm nervous. Why? Because it's not this palatable idea for us. It's not palatable in the culture. It's not something easy for someone to swallow. And so even though Jesus just clearly said that there's a road that leads to life, and there's a road that leads to destruction, false prophets will say like, no, we're going to de-emphasize that. This whole idea, we're not going to talk about it. Let's not talk about it, right? That's an ancient idea. Let's just talk about the good things. Peace, peace, it's all good. All dogs go to heaven. Let's just de-emphasize the idea of hell. Some, some of them, they de-emphasize and don't talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. They don't talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. They just say, Oh, that's back in the day. Uh, the, you know, some miracles happened. Some stuff uh, spoke to some people and it just doesn't happen any longer. Let's just move on from that and let's de-emphasize the work of the Spirit. I know, I know it's weird. Like Jesus even said, 
Um, you know, I'm going to leave somebody with you that's a helper that's even better than me, that's even closer than, than me. Um, and then I'm going to comfort you where you need comfort and there's healing where you need healing. There's faith and courage, like all of these things. Ugh, that feels so weird because it's like ethereal. So we de-emphasize. Let's just de-emphasize it. Some overemphasize this, where like the Holy Spirit is like this chaotic thing. It's like the crazy, like someone who walks across the room is like, like just healing. Everyone's like, ooh, like in their seats, you know, and they got handkerchiefs and they're waving around and having convulsions. Like this over chaotic thing. And the preacher's selling his handkerchief. They blew his nose in because to make everybody else healthy, right? It's going to heal somebody or here's some water. You know, they're selling stuff. This prosperity gospel, you've seen those? Those uh, prosperity gospel people and they're driving, they're flying around and they're like $60 million jet and they're just speaking like, if you sow a seed of money, these things are gonna come back to you. And we listen to that and we're like, oh, I'm giving you everything I got. And then now you're, you know, you have nothing. That guy's flying around. Gosh, that stuff scares me. I'll tell you right now, that just stuff scares me so bad. I so don't ever wanna be that place. I so don't ever want to be in that place. I understand, I'm going to tell you right now, I understand, and it, it, it can keep me up at sometimes, the weight and the responsibility of this stage. It blows my mind, friends. We're just talking human to human. It blows my mind. I never have not felt the weight that people, that over a thousand people, every would come here and gather together and worship and listen to me give you a message about what God's given us this week. Blows my mind. That weight is incredible. And I, I have a, a, a huge fear. Never want to allow that thing to happen. They de-emphasize or mess up atonement. Uh, there's Christian writers out there, books who talk about the atonement as a divine child abuse, saying like, if God really sent his son to take on the wrath of the world and die for sin, then he's just a giant cosmic child abuser. The idea of universalism, that uh, just everyone goes to heaven in the end, which Jesus just debunked. One of the constant and subtle um, de-emphasized things within the church is our own sinfulness, our own depravity. We, we tend not to want to talk about this, again, because we just want to say peace, peace, right? Which we do, we value that, that characteristic of being a grace filled community, but we have to understand who we are and where we came from. Uh, we just want to feel good about our lives. And so preachers tend not to want to say like, hey, there was something messed up. There's something off. Like you haven't done enough to earn this. We just want to say, peace, peace. And, and, and we'll avoid this idea when Jesus even says this in Revelation, like that we're all wretched, we're pitiable, we're poor, we're blind, we're naked. You have nothing. And we're like, mm, that doesn't sound very nice. That doesn't sound very good to us. But it's because only when you understand that about yourself that the cross actually looks beautiful. It's only then. I've listened to um, what I thought were excellent preachers, communicators, teach about Jesus all day. And they talk about Jesus as this great example. Look at the example of Jesus. Jesus is the example and at the end of the teaching, I'm sitting there going, I'm not sure why I actually need him to come and die for me to be my savior um, because I'm good. 
You're not talking about anything about me. You're just talking about how he's a great example. So now Jesus has just become an example to me, not a savior. That's devastating. When you look at him as just a buddy, like, nah, he's just a good example. He is, but first and foremost, he is your savior. Why? Because you need saving. And we don't talk about this. We de-emphasize this. You haven't been told there's nothing wrong with you. And this isn't shame culture, but this is why we talk about most every Sunday, you'll hear us talk about this, that there is nothing, this is how we end a lot of our messages. There's nothing so lost in your life that God cannot find it. What are we saying first? That you are what? We're lost. Some of us just have to recognize that we're lost. And some of you maybe in here are in here today and you're lost. And you know what? You can be found by God. He will find you. He did this in the garden when they were hiding. He said, where are you? He will look for you and be found by you if, by him if you want it to happen. But first you have to recognize that we're lost. We talk about how there's nothing so broken in your life that God cannot do a mending work on this side of eternity. Meaning what? We're, we're broken. There are some of you in here that have felt or that are, that are experiencing brokenness on a level that I cannot imagine. You feel broken, so you have to recognize and we have to say, you're broken, I'm broken. But God can do a mending work on this side of eternity. And then on the next side is where the healing happens completely. And then finally, we say that there's nothing so dead that God cannot resurrect or make alive again. That's what he does. He makes dead things alive. So what does that mean? You're dead. We're dead. Some of you feel like you're at a dead end. You felt like you were at a dead end. You truly understand the hope and you understand who God is. He is your savior because he made a dead thing alive again. That's what happened through the resurrection. That's what happens through transformation. We get a new heart. You become new. The old is gone. He doesn't look through the lens of that. This is why one writer said it this way, false prophets talk much about the love of God, but nothing of his holiness. Much about people who are deprived, but nothing about those who are depraved. Much about God's universal fatherhood of every human being, but nothing about his unique fatherhood of only those who are his children through faith in his son. Much about what God will give to us, but nothing about obedience to him. Much about health and happiness, but nothing about holiness and sacrifice. Their message is a message of gaps. The greatest gap of which leaves out the truth that saves. The truth that saves is you're never going to believe that you've been saved until you recognize you have something to be saved from. This isn't a shame culture. This is just self-awareness. You didn't come to church just to be beaten. It's the idea that this is a grace-filled community about redemptive relationships, a lifestyle of worship, living generously, and being a people in process. This is about recognizing that I, I can come here and I am wherever I am on this journey and all are welcome, but here's the idea. You have to recognize that so you can take steps towards the next thing. You know, you talk about anybody, any kind of recovery. That's that first step. Recognizing I'm right here. That's not shame. I need a savior. And so often you can recognize someone in sheep's clothing because they de-emphasize this. 
self-awareness, the state need that you need, I need, we need a savior to save you and I. That's why he came and died, a brutal death. The worst, the worst of all wasn't just the physical part, it was the spiritual part when God was denying him, when he was taking the weight of the world, your sin, my sin, and laying that on him because we're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, naked. If you start there and begin there, you start to see your need for a savior. And if you start there, you're gonna understand the glory of God. And so modern false prophets want to de-emphasize the reality of sin and depravity. Um, right now, I'll tell you too, that the false prophets should not beat you up with scripture. They shouldn't take this to pound you into some sort of submission. It should be a grace-filled community. Bear good fruit. So what is fruit? I promise I'm wrapping up. What is fruit? It talks about this in Galatians 5. Fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the more we allow the Holy Spirit free reign in our lives, the more fruit is evident. And so when you're trying to see what is good fruit and what is bad fruit, you have to ask yourself, do I see that oozing out in the way that they communicate with people? Do I see that oozing out in their life uh, at home, uh, in the car, behind doors, in their workplace? Like, do I see them uh, being those things? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. In John 15, 16, Jesus told his followers, I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Righteous fruit has an eternal benefit, but let us beware, friends, of what we're letting direct us in life and have authority over us. It's literally why we're teaching this verse by verse, not skipping over a single thing, because this needs to be the authority in our lives. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for giving us words. Thank you for teaching us on how to discern. May we continually evaluate. May we be aware of the things that we're allowing to have authority over to influence our lives, the lives of our children, the lives of our grandchildren. Father, would you just give us wisdom? Father, would you help us see your fruit being born out of someone else? May we all bear good fruit. We love you. So honored to be a part of a faith community like this where we get to learn from your word and then take it and use it and love those around us. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. And this concludes this week's podcast. We hope you've enjoyed spending some time with us. And if you haven't already, like and subscribe to our YouTube and find us on Instagram at EngateCF. See you next week.